I want to get started with our theme verse for this series. It's found in Hebrews 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And here's what it says. It says, therefore... So in other words, you have to know why it's there for. And I would want to encourage you that Hebrews 11 is, is almost why it's there for. And Hebrews 12 is a continuation of that. Okay, So they didn't necessarily have the scriptures marked. We marked them later on so that we could find them. But this was one long letter to the Hebrew people. And in chapter 12, verse 11, after the Bible lists out these giants in the faith, these hall of fame of faith type of leaders, men and women, who had led their lives not just successfully, visibly, and, and, and on earth, but sometimes they didn't even see the promise of God on earth, but they continued to trust and live by faith, and the Bible honors them. So we get to verse uh, 1 in chapter 12, and it says this. We'll put it on the screen for you, for you note-takers, because uh, we're a note-taking church, hint, hint. Uh, not because I say things great, but I believe God will speak to you through this message. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded, say surrounded. Surrounded. You're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That's the truth. So what do we do in response to that truth? The Bible says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the Bible's encouraging us. Hey, there, you, you have a race. It's a unique race. You're not to run your neighbor's race. Hello, somebody. Okay, we love to do that and compare our life based on someone else's highlight reel. Don't do that. Run your race, and you're going to need to do it a specific way with perseverance. We talked about that last week. It's the Greek word hypomone. But the Bible says here's some, here's some issues with running. That, that sin's going to want to get in the way. It's going to want to tangle you up and keep you from running the race that God has for you and becoming the person he made you to be. But if it's not sin, there's still another issue we have to address, and it's the hindrances, maybe the distractions of life that wouldn't necessarily be categorized as sin, but they're not God's best for you, and they're weights holding you back either from the direction or the speed at which God wants you to run with. So we got to get rid of some things. Come on. How many, how many like spring cleaning? Okay, okay. I know I don't like to clean either, but um, I like the idea of spring cleaning. I like when spring cleaning's over. And I just believe prophetically we can't bring into this new season something from a winter season. Maybe it was some darkness and some dreariness in our life, but God's bringing us into a spring cleaning type of season. But we've got to do something in response to that. And we've got to do our part. And our part is to get rid of the sin that entangles us and slows us down from the race God wants us to run. Can I get a good amen, church? So the Bible tells us that there's this cheering section of heaven, which is totally a great picture in your mind. And it, it tells us, you know, from time to time we think, oh, man, I wonder if my loved ones have any recollection of what's happening in earth. Well, from this scripture, the Bible says there is a grandstand in heaven, witnesses, those who have finished their race, who are peering over to cheer us on while we are in ours. And so we've been pulling out one of those voices each week from the crowd because it's just crowd noise if you're listening to them in that uh, vantage point. But let's bring one out of the stands each week, ask them to run a lap of life with us, and what could we glean from them? What could we learn from them? So I love this series because of a couple of reasons. We, we get to learn our Bibles, everybody. So we get to, it's like Sunday school. We get to go back to those old Bible stories that we may have heard once or maybe we've never heard before and learn our Bibles, which helps us in our everyday life. But we also get to get encouragement. 
And what's encouraging about this to me is that some of these brothers and sisters, and most of them, didn't do it well. And so you and I have a choice. We can repeat the same mistake, or we can learn from their mistake and not go down the same path they went down. That's an option for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to learn the hard way. But the Bible lets us know that we don't have to. So today's giant that we want to talk about is Jacob. Uh, or as I, my Hebrew brothers, I don't know any Hebrew brothers, but they would say Jacob, Jacob, probably with a little Jacob. And, and Jacob was the son of Abraham, or Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham, father Abraham, the, the father of faith, the Bible would say. But if you look at Jacob, Jacob was his grandson, and last week we studied uh, Joseph, who is Jacob's son. So we're just kind of in that lineage of God's family and looking at all these brothers and sisters. Next week, we've got an exciting one for you. I'll save a, a teaser for May 7th, but you definitely want to be here. But the interesting thing about Jacob's life is he struggled from birth. So some of you are here today, and I could be among you, that would say, man, life has just been a struggle from the onset. So this message is dedicated to anybody that would say, hey, it's been a struggle, and the struggle's real. What would Jacob say to us if he could run a lap of life with us, I believe he would say this, you got to let go and let God. you got to let go. What? Let go of what? Control. And let God what? Have control. Now, that's easy to preach and very hard to live. Any control freaks in the house? You're controlling your response. You wouldn't let me know anyway. You're like, nobody tells me what to do. Right? We all had this area where we just... We, we, it's insecurity or it's fear or, or, or it's literally just pride. And we try to control our life. But the best life is when you surrender your life fully and completely to Christ. And I would even submit to you, you can't be a fully devoted follower of Jesus with a, with a life that's not surrendered to him. So many of us like that 71% gospel or I'm going to give Jesus my sin. Yeah, I definitely don't want to go to hell. Want, but he can't have this area. He can't have my job. He can't have my career. He can't have my family, my relationships. Definitely not my finances because I, I got to control those because my life is up to me. Jacob would be able to relate to you and say, listen, listen, if you want your best life, you're going to have to give up some of that control. So his story picks up in, uh, in the middle of the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 27, we see that he's born, and he's born to Isaac, and Jacob uh, actually had a twin brother. So he was born, uh, his mom was pregnant with twins. Anybody got twins? Praise God for you. That's that double trouble. And uh, you only know that if you've only had one first, and then you have two. If you've had two, you know no other experience. But so, so she was pregnant with twins, had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob was living that striving life so bad that even in the womb, he tried to pull his brother back so that he could get out first. I mean, does anybody feel like, like somebody has a little success in their life? You want to pull them back down because of your inferiority issues and your insecurities? Jacob would be able to relate. He was so fearful and concerned about getting ahead in life, he even tried to pull his brother back, which would have been a big deal in the Hebrew culture because the firstborn got that double portion. They got that double inheritance. And so uh, Jacob was like, no, nah, not on my wad, bro. He's trying to pull him back. Later on in life, he actually stole his, his, his brother's birthright. And so they had birthrights and just all these things that was given and allotted to that firstborn child. And we can learn a lot from Esau because not only did Jacob steal it from Esau, but Esau gave it away over the Bible records as a bowl of soup. 
Come on, sometimes you're too hungry for things that really won't fill you. Mm, don't make me preach Esau today. Right? And Esau sacrificed the future God had for him based on an appetite he had in the moment. I'm talking to somebody right now. Don't, don't let him go there with you. Don't, don't let him, don't, don't, don't make that decision financially that you know has no integrity to it. Don't, don't do those things now to satisfy an appetite and sacrifice the very future God has planned for you. I, we ain't preaching Esau, but Esau's in here. I got to let you know what Esau would say to us today. But then Jacob goes on and wants to get married. I mean, praise God for marriage. And, but he struggles there because he hasn't dealt with these issues and he's still striving. And he ends up going to this guy named Laban. And he's like, man, look, your daughter is so fine. And she's right on time. And she's my boo. And, and Laban's like, listen, that's cool. You got to work for me seven years and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you marry my daughter. Well, then, how many know when you're a, trick, a trickster or when, when you got some issues, God will always let you meet your match? Yep. So Laban uh, was the trickster of all tricksters. And so that's what Jacob was. He was always tricking people and, and kind of manipulating situations for his own advantage. We could preach that. But he meets this guy, Laban, and after seven years of hard labor for this brother, he gives him his daughter, but he gives him the wrong one. <laughs> He's like, boom, lights out. This is her. And, he, and Jacob wakes up. He's like, oh, no, not her. <laughs> Literally, he's like, oh, I wanted her. And so Laban comes back and says, another seven years, and I'll give you my other daughter. So he just goes on this journey. But he's frustrated there. And not only is he running from Esau, because his brother's chasing. He's running from Esau, but he's trying to get away from Laban, too. And, and he gets to this place. It's called uh, Peniel or, or, or uh, Peniah, however you want to pronounce it. And it's this place where he has an encounter with God. Like he gets to a place in his life where he's gone through trying to trick and manipulate and get himself to a place that God already planned he would be if he would just quit striving and surrender. And he gets to this emotionally exalted state of mind. But how many know God is faithful? We sing that, the goodness of God. God is faithful in your lowest moments to give you an encounter and give you a new life and a new way out. And so he gets to this moment where God says, hey, you need to let go and let me. You need, you need to give that control to me. And how many know we're guilty as Christians? We, we get to this place in our life where we'll give God a lot of things, but we usually keep that one secret area of our life where we have fear. We, we keep it to ourselves. And God would come along and say, don't do that. You need to trust and follow me. But we pick up the story in Hebrews 32 and here's what it, or excuse me, Genesis 32. And here's what it says. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. How many, how many know when you're all alone, you're a little bit more open to what God wants to do in your life? He was so fearful that he even was making fearful decisions. He, he took his whole family and he divided them into two camps. And he thought, man, if Laban catches me or if Esau catches me, at least half of us will survive and this is what he, he separated his whole family. So now other people are being impacted based on his striving spirit and his insecurity and his fear and his issue to control. And if you can't get rid of control for yourself, do it for your children. Do it for those that you're leading and that God wants you to influence. You got to lay down that control to God. But the Bible says he was left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man, which scholars believe this is a theophany, this is a moment where there wasn't a good translation there, but this was, this was not a, a man as you and I are man and woman. This was, a, this was a theophany. This was an appearance of God or 
an angel of the Lord. I personally believe this was God, but it's between one of those two. It was, it was either an angel or God. And it says, a man came and wrestled with him. And some of us are in the room right now wrestling with God over some issues. We, we made it to church, but maybe you even wrestled to get here. You, you, you wrestle to see God as he sees you, and you only see yourself as your bad choices or your mistakes, or you wrestle in your faith, or you wrestle in your finances. And God allowed this wrestling match to happen until the break of dawn, the Bible says, when the man saw that he would not win. Like, God's going to win. But when he saw that Jacob wasn't going to quit fighting on his own. So God will be gracious to you, and God will be patient to you, and God will be long-suffering to you, but God loves you too much to let you destroy your life. So he doesn't create crisis, but he will allow them in your life to get your attention and get you to surrender that which you should have surrendered from the get-go. And he says he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of pocket or out of socket. This is, you're like, man, that's kind of harsh, but is it? Don't we do this as parents to our children when they get the big head and think they know everything, right? Do we do it out of harshness or do we do it out of love and concern for their future? Because we can see if they continue down this path of fear, down this path of insecurity, down this path of pride, they're not going to get to where God wants them to be. So in love, we'll allow a little pain in their life, a little suffering in their life so that their eyes and ears will open and they will see what God wants to do in their life. I love what Mother Teresa said. You will never know God is all you need until God is all you have. And God will allow you to get to these moments where the popularity has gone. And you're in crisis. And this is what Jacob was in. He was in a crisis type of moment. God was saying, quit relying on your own power and rely on my power. I have a supernatural life for you that's going to require more than your natural ability. We're here at Palm City. We're trying to help people live a flourishing life according to Scripture, Psalm 92. But you can't live a supernatural life under your own strength. A supernatural life demands supernatural power. And the Holy Spirit wants to give you that supernatural power to live a transcendent life, but he can't do it if you won't surrender. So Jacob's telling us, if you're writing notes, God's strength is greater than my strength. This is what we have to realize. As parents, we do this. And I can tell you from experience, if you will not submit to that biblical truth that God's strength and God's way is better than yours, then good luck. And that's a little sassy, and I don't mean it that way. I, I'm just advocating for myself. If you live in self-reliance instead of God confidence, if you live in a self-sufficient type of mind state instead of God dependency, there's coming a day where you're going to be all alone and you're going to wish you would have surrendered your life to God. And I don't want you to have that moment. We're looking at scripture and we have an opportunity today to make that decision to live a surrendered life because it's exhausting not to. And many of us, you crawled into this room today, maybe not literally, that'd have been kind of weird, but emotionally. Financially, you made it, great job, but barely, and it's because you're exhausted, and that's what living a life God didn't create for you will do to you. It's exhausting when we misplace our trust, and when we, we don't 
hear the, the words of Scripture and rally our life around it, we will find ourselves on fumes. And sometimes our person next to us don't even know. And, we, and we're struggling, but Jesus, even in that moment, gives us this invitation that says, hey, come to me, those who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, when you hear that verse, you're like, oh, praise God, Sunday afternoon nap. You would think if God's going to give you rest, it's like, where's my, my parents were young kids. You're like, praise God for the parent nap. Look, when they're down, I'm down. Check out. But that's not what God says. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. But here's how my rest. No, keep working. You just need to do the work that actually matters. You're doing a lot of stuff. You got a great fit. We love a great fit. And you've created a life that's, that you think is a great fit for you, but it's not the life God created for you. And so maybe even your bank account looks good, and maybe even things seem on the surface to be going well, but inside you're dying a slow death because you're living a life God didn't intend for you to live. And Jesus says, hey, come. That's step one. But, but take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke in Scripture was these uh, wooden forms that would fit around the oxen's neck, that would pair them two by two so that they could plow the ground. It would keep them going in the right direction instead of one veering off and doing the wrong thing. It, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't. Rest isn't literal. Rest is not inactivity. Rest is a condition of our soul. So Jesus wants you to stay in the game and, and keep working, but just do things that are in line with your purpose and his plan for your life. And he says, when you, when you take his yoke on you, which Jesus would have understood because he was a carpenter. So he probably made some of these yokes before. And there's actually two different versions. There's that Walmart version. Hey, somebody. That one size fits all. You know what I'm saying? I love Walmart. Don't, don't hate on Walmart. I will ride right to Walmart right now and spend money I don't even have on things I don't even need. I'll do it. I love Walmart. But listen, you don't need a, a one size fits all type of purpose. Jesus, the word yoke here is the word that means a custom fit. Like God has a unique, perfect, specific fit for your life, a purpose and a calling. And if you would quit striving and doing things your own way and take his yoke upon you and learn from him because he is the way, the truth, and the life, you will find out he is not harsh and rigid, but he is gentle and humble in, in heart, and you will find the rest you've been looking for. That's what Jesus invites us in when we surrender trying to control. I just started this, man. I got to figure it out. If it's going to be, it's up to me. That's not true. You have to come up under the mighty hand of God and let him lead and guide your life in that way. Because rest is not inactivity. Rest is a condition of your soul. I think Jacob would also say not only God's strength is better than your strength, I think he would say identity is better than image. Wow. Jacob lived his life trying to create an image to get the approval of people he didn't even know or probably even like. He lived his life so focused on doing things his way so that he would get the approval of man or that he would be able to manipulate situations for his own good. And I can tell you from this type of life, Jacob was worn out and exhausted. His name actually means trickster. But how many know God will allow you to live that image, but he really wants to change your identity? Image is outside, what people see. Identity is who you are at the core. And life is not where you are. It's more about who you are in Christ. I wrote it down this way in my notes. Your identity in Christ will bring an end to your captivity in life. Can I get a good amen, somebody? Hello. But we've got to give God the control 
Jacob means trickster. But when God changed his name to Israel, that meant prince with God. God wants to do an identity change in our lives so that we can become the person he created us to be. We see it in Genesis 32. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. God has a track record of not just changing your outside circumstances, but using your outside circumstances to get you to a place of surrender so that he can change your identity. It's from the inside out. God wants to allow you to see yourself in a different light. In order to do that, we have to surrender. We see him do it with the apostle Peter. In John chapter 1, verse 42, the Bible says he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but that's not who you're going to be going forward. You will be called Cephas, which means, or is translated as Peter. The word Simon, his name meant when in Hebrew culture was really important. Simon meant listener. And how many know it's good to be a listener of God, but James tells us don't be just hearers of God. You got to be doers of the word. And so we've got to change from just listening and and having a, a consuming mindset that we've got to get in the game and have a contributory life to where we're giving God our life. Simon meant pebble. Peter meant rock. God wants to enlarge your territory. God wants to do more in your life, but you're going to have to get over yourself and give God control and rely on his strength and not yours. And you're going to have to get out of the image game of being who you think culture or people want you to be. Because here's the truth. God can't bless who you pretend to be. God, God blesses authenticity and God blesses originality. And he wants to not make you a new version of an old you. He wants to make you brand new. In other words, when God works on your identity, he restores you back to the original purpose in which he created you for. If we'll surrender our life and allow him to do that, I believe also Jacob would tell us joy is better than happiness. Joy is internal. Happiness is external. Genesis 32, the story continues. Now God had asked him his name. Now Jacob, because this is his manipulative lifestyle, he wants to know his name. He's focused on image. So he's like, who can I tell him I've spoken with today? Who can I get a little selfie with? Are you famous? Can you take me somewhere? You know, he's just looking with the wrong motive. And and God's like, bro, you ain't got time for, for me to tell you. This will take the rest of your life. That's what he meant when he said, why do you want to know my name? We don't have time for all that. I am too far above who you think or ask or imagine I could be. The man replied, and the Bible says, then there he blessed Jacob. Jacob, even in that moment, was looking for more knowledge, more image. He he was looking, maybe I can do a little name dropping. But he didn't know he met the name dropper. That God was going to drop his name from Jacob and give him a new name and a new identity so that he could not live in happiness, which is fleeting. If you've lived any amount of time, that's an emotional roller coaster. I'm happy. I'm not happy. That's what happens with marriages. Marriages need to get away from I'm not happy anymore to are you willing to be unhappy while we figure it out? That's covenant. We're not living a contractual life with each other as husbands and wives or with our children or our church family. This isn't contractual. And especially with God, this is covenant. This says, no matter what, I'm committed to you. That's how God treats you. That's how we need to treat each other. 
I'm not going to cancel you or bail on you if you don't do the things I want you to do. No, I am with you to the end, as Jesus said to us. This is important, but we've got to realize that joy is greater than happiness. Matthew 5, 6 tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, in the, in the Greek, the word blessed is not what we think. We think it's like a prosperity gospel, like Lamborghini, let's go. I'm about to get my bank account good. And God's not opposed to you having stuff, as long as the stuff don't have you. But the word blessed here in the Greek is the word makarios. It's an internal blessing. It's no matter what your circumstances look like, you can have the joy of the Lord. And the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's the strength you want to rely on. The joy that God can put in your heart when we give him control of our life. But it says, blessed are who? Those who hunger and thirst, not for their way, not for their plans to work out. This is not a, hey God, I'm doing this. I made a choice. This wasn't even involved in you, but now I'm going to ask you to bless something you didn't even create for me. No, no, we want to have a life to go, well, okay, God, what are you blessing? And I'm just going to go there. That's a Macario surrendered type of life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the right things, righteous things, because they will be filled. Let me say it this way. They will live fulfilled. And if you're on fumes today and you're exhausted in any way, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, I think Jacob would tell us it could be that you're operating in your own strength and not God's. Come up out of your strength and come under the mighty hand of God today. I think he would also tell us that it's not about image. Culture says, present who you think you should be. But God says, know who I've called you to be and let my identity be enough from you. For out of that will flow everything you would ever want if you knew what I knew. And then we've got to live in a state of joy, not chasing happiness, not chasing everything on earth to work out. If I were to sum up one of the greatest things I think the modern day church struggles with is they put too much hope in earth working out. God never said earth would work out. Earth is not your home. You are foreigners passing through this life. Your citizenship is in heaven. And that's why we don't have joy in the church because we're trying to expect earth to work out. That's never been the plan. We live in a fallen world, but Jesus says in this world you He didn't promise earth would be good, but he said, take heart. I'm not going to leave you there, and then I ain't going to leave you there permanently. I'm taking you somewhere else. So that's how we live this life with joy. And as Jacob may be going back to the grandstands of heaven, I think he would leave us with some final words, kind of some exhortations, some encouragements. I think he would tell us all those things, but I think he would end with things like, hey, the way up is down. We're always trying to climb that corporate ladder. We're trying to get our status and our image so high. But how many know the kingdom strategy to those types of things is always inverted? Jesus said, you want to be first? Be last. What? Right? James says, consider it pure joy when you go through suffering. What? Trials? Joy? No, man, this is backwards. But we have to realize as kingdom people and followers of Jesus Christ, brokenness always precedes breakthrough. We try to break through the thresholds and the lids of life in our own strength. But the way up is down. It's when we get a broken spirit. It's when we let the, just God do something on the inside of us. When we let him take us through the refiner's fire. And we let him skim off the impurities and the wrong motives. And the insecurities and the superiority and the inferiority. And we let him get rid of those things in our life that we can begin to focus on him. Because we cannot become the person God created us to be. 
and at the same time hold on to what we think we should be. And God's not looking for perfection. I want to clear that up. God's a perfect God, but we're an imperfect people. And God wants to work his perfection in you through the Holy Spirit. Yes, but you can come as you are. And God's not after perfection. He's after honesty. He's after a repentant, soft heart. That when we get it wrong, not if, but when we get it wrong, will we say, God, I'm sorry. I I was wrong. You're right. That I'm not going to continue in this wrestling match on any area of my life. I'm going to let your word be the final authority. And every time I get out of line, I'm going to just have a heart that says, God, I'm sorry I went the wrong way. we got to see repentance as one of the most positive verbs in Scripture. It's not a bad word like, repent, you sinner, you're going to hell. It's like two (laughs) syllables. You know when hell's two syllables? Hell. No, no, no. (laughs) Repent is an opportunity. It's a lifestyle. To say, not my will, yours be done. That I don't ha- I'm not Alpha and Omega. I-, I don't see the end of my life from the beginning. I need your help. And in anywhere that I get it wrong, Lord, I'm surrendering myself to you. That's what David did in Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God will never despise. And then Peter comes along and says, Let me take it a step further. God opposes. You don't want to be anything after the words God opposes. I'm just here to tell you. God opposes the proud. The ones who think they know everything. The ones who think they figured their life out. The ones who have hard hearts and are open to surrendering fully to God. Because at the end of the day, it's a pride issue. Jacob had a pride issue. He thought, I I know best. I am the best leader of my life. And God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He shows favor to the humble. So the Bible says what? Humble yourself. One, One person said it's humility or humiliation. Like you have an opportunity to humble yourself. And I'm encouraging, if I'm your pastor, if you don't have one, may I ask you to be your pastor either for today or for the next 25 years. I I pray that you would hear this. Humble yourself. You have a choice to do it on the front end. Don't let a crisis have to come into your life before you will willingly humble yourself before the Lord and under his power, his mighty hand, so that he may lift you in due time. I think Jacob would also say, if you want to find yourself you got to lose yourself. Scripture tells us in Mark 8, calling to the crowd to join his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. These are the words of Jesus. You can't call the shots and follow me at the same time. It's an oxymoron. It, it, they, they cannot coexist. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. And we have settled in today's world for a Christianity and a casualness to it that I can follow you and pick out the highlights that I like, but anywhere you conflict my agenda or you rub who I think I am, I am not open to it. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I know you were 
born that way. I know that you struggle with that. We're all born into flesh and we're all born sinful and far from God. That's why God sent his son Jesus to bridge the gap and to pay the debt of sin so that that gap could be removed. And the concern of Mark 8.35 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. I'm asking you to lose yourself so that you can find yourself. I believe Jacob would tell us today, don't operate in your own strength. Don't focus on image. Focus on Christ's identity, who he says you are and who he says you can be. And live for joy, not happiness. But we got to understand it's about a posture of humility because the way up is down. And it's about understanding that we have to lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. But number three, write this down. When God is in control, you live your best life. I believe that. We always hashtag best life. Live your best life now. And that's such a false sense of reality because the life they're describing is not your best life. The Bible says there's a way that seems right, but in the end leads to death. So people see a way that seemingly looks right. And let me say it this way. It probably looks appealing at first. Sin is a lot of fun for a season. But when that season ends and you're left with the baggage and the shame and the guilt and all the people that were your ride or dies are gone. And you're just left in that place of loneliness. Guess who will still be there? Just like Jacob, you'll have a God encounter. God will come into your life. So here's the purpose of today, Romans 12. Here's my encouragement as we sum up today to live your best life. I want you to hear this, not just from my mouth, but I want you to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you personally. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your job, your career, your hobbies, your relationships, your parenting, your marriage, your finances, your purpose, all those things. I want you to take it all and place it before God as an offering. I want you to surrender control today. That's a big ask. I realize it. But I'm telling you, if you will just lay it all down, it's the most liberating thing you will experience spiritually in your life. Because you don't have to figure it all out anymore. You're following the one who authored your life. And when we do, the Bible says, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's what's happening. You can't even tell the followers of Christ from the world anymore because they just blended together. That you're so well-adjusted to culture that you fit in. Instead, fix your attention on God. I'm telling you, church, today, here's the solution. If you want to live a life Jacob would encourage you to live, it's about fixing your eyes on things above and not below. And you will be changed from the inside out. 
readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. And here it is. When you live this way, God will bring the best out of you. God has the plan for your life. God is the author of life. And when you surrender to him, not only will the best come out of you, but you will accelerate in your growth. The Bible says you will be formed into his maturity. It will be developed in you. I want to close with this thought. And I want us to pray. Here it is. You'll never know what your life could have been until you hand it over to the one who created it.